Journeying through John 17, and uh, last week we explained a little bit of this, what we're going to spend time doing. We started a new series last week on our church vision, and we're also going to talk in a couple of weeks about our mission and strategies, but we're focusing right now on just the, the vision part of that, and we're using John 17 as a context as we look at what Jesus prayed there right before His crucifixion and then resurrection, this prayer He prayed for the early believers and even for those who would come to know Jesus through them is a prayer essentially He's praying for us today and for all believers globally throughout the centuries. So we look at this and say, if we want to know who it is we're to be and what our priorities should be as a church, what better place to look at than what Jesus is praying we kind of put it uh, this way last week. I guess I'll switch analogies, but you know, if you've got a financial planner or somebody you work with or a banker, you've gone and sat down and said, hey, can you help me figure out my finances? And if they've got something that's working for them, right, it seems like they're figuring out how to make money and save money and use money generously and all the things that we need and want to do and get out of debt, then you, you look at that person, you say, what are... What's he, what's he doing? What's she doing? What's, what's their plan? And then you probably say, maybe I should do some of that myself. That might be good for me. Same thing when we look, in a sense, at, uh, at Jesus and his prayer life. What's he praying for? We see what his priorities are. We say, well, maybe, maybe that should be what my priorities are as well. Maybe that would, would help me. So we're going to do that. And we want to, again, our long-range planning process that we've been doing as a church, the very first part of that has been focusing on vision and our church culture. So each week I'm trying to identify some tensions in the life of the church, what we would call maybe church culture. And we're also trying to take the vision statement that we've reaffirmed as a church and try to bring it a little deeper into our lives and into our minds individually and collectively. So we're going to do this again this week. Let's uh, say together the parts of our our vision statement, uh, you can repeat after me, glorifying God, glorifying God, by inviting all, by inviting all into God's grace, into God's grace. Okay, so we're, we're trying to uh, absorb that, take that in at a deeper level, and then we'll talk about some other parts of our vision and mission strategies in a, a couple of of weeks. So we're using John 17 to do that. So you can turn there with me. Let me read as we think today, particularly about the inviting all part of that. If you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to go and listen to that message so that you can kind of be tracking along because the glorifying God part was very, very important and probably a little more difficult to understand on the surface than the inviting all that we'll talk about this week. So encourage you to look at that and look now with me at John 17 and then we'll look a little bit at Romans 10 as well. John 17 starting in verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And then take a look at Romans chapter 10, which is a little further back in the New Testament, past Acts, right after Acts, as a matter of fact. And we're going to start with verse 11 there. There's a lot that we could read, but let's just start with verse 11. 
And it says this, for the Scripture says, this is the Apostle Paul quoting the Old Testament. So he says, for the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Right? Everyone who believes. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then listen to this part, which is really important. Verse 14, But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray that you would help us to see today how beautiful it is and will be if we continue to seek to live lives as sent ones, as those who are inviting others around us to come to know you. Uh, with that as a key and central purpose to our lives, I pray that the young ones here would embrace that. I pray that those in the middle stages of life would embrace that. I pray that those in the most senior years would see that this is a call that we can pursue regardless of where we are in life. And I pray, Lord, too, that you would help us to see that your powerful mercy and grace can and does work in all types of situations and lives, and that we would believe that you would do that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you might have uh, heard the story somewhere along the way about the uh, older man who was standing in line at the store, and a younger man walked uh, up to him and asked him what time it was. Well, the older man just gave him the cold shoulder, didn't even respond at all to to this younger man. And eventually, as the young man began walking off, just sort of rebuffed, uh, the older man's friend who was standing nearby said, why, why in the world were you so rude to that young guy that was just asking you a simple question? The older guy said this. He said, if I had given him the time of day, well, then he might have wanted to get to know me. And if he'd have wanted to get to know me, we might have started to talk about our interests. We started to talk about our interests. I probably would have felt like I should invite him over to my house. If he came to my house, he would probably meet my lovely daughter. If he got to know my lovely daughter, he might want to marry her. And frankly, I don't want my daughter marrying somebody that can't afford a watch. Well, folks, there's all kinds of reasons that we might have for not being as inviting as we could be right? Uh, things that keep us from reaching out to those who are around us or having God's eyes to see what can and is happening in lives around us. It's interesting, uh, one passage of Scripture, Matthew 28, you don't need to turn there. It's a very well-known uh, passage that's called the Great Commission, uh, given to really all of us as believers, all of us who, are, who know Christ and are therefore disciples, uh, Jesus told, these are some of the last words, so we're looking at one of the 
you know, final prayers of Jesus in John 17, Matthew 28, some of the last words Jesus gave, the Great Commission was to go and make disciples of all nations. This idea that we are sent out ones. If you look back at Matthew 11 as well, we read that just a few minutes ago in our worship service as our uh, call to confession. I thought it was a, a good one as uh, Sonny and I were working on the worship service this week. We we talked about this, uh, this passage, this verse, and the last part, you can certainly see the relevance of it. Verse 28 in Matthew 11, where it says, Come unto me. But it's interesting to see the things that are before that, really starting just in verse 27 for time. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Interesting words there, because they're very, very similar. It almost sounds like John 17 that we've just been reading, right? Doesn't it? The Father and the Son and the Son and the Father. And then this emphasis, too, on God's sovereignty over this whole process. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not even going to try to unpack that can of worms today. We know if we read the Bible at all that there is an emphasis on the fact that God's got to be working in any of our lives, your life, my life, in order for us to come to know Jesus. So God's sovereign, electing, calling work, His predestining work, if you will, it's got to be there for a changed life to happen. And at the same time, you and I have no idea where that's happening or whose life that might be happening in so we have a, a rather simple marching orders, and that is to spread and share the gospel wherever we can, right? And as it's embraced and as it's taken in and lives are transformed, then we see where God has called and God has saved. So you see that there where it says, the, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. So it's clear that God's sovereign over this whole process. At the same time, look at verse 28. We read earlier in the service, and, and our this is our focus for today. So I'm just I'm letting you know that I'm aware of that dynamic, and we put it out there. Back to verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly. All of this is invitation, invitation, invitation. Do this. Take this. Come. Receive this. It all screams and speaks of an invitation from the Lord. And then, of course, I read just a few minutes ago those verses from Romans that, again, are right, if you know your Bible a little bit, Romans 8 and Romans 9 are two of the chapters in the book that most significantly emphasize that whole concept of God's sovereignty. And yet right after it in chapter 10 is these important verses that say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Who can believe without somebody preaching to them? And earlier in that passage, it tells us that we're saved by confessing and believing in our heart, that it's, it really is that simple. So we're holding these things in tension today. What we want to camp out on is how can we grow as those who are fulfilling our part of that, right? I don't have any control or direction over whether a life is going to change at its core and come to see the beauty and the majesty of the gospel and delight in salvation. I can't control that or direct that. None of you can either. What we can do is be those who see ourselves as sent ones and have a posture of invitation 
to others that are around us to the kingdom of God. Well, what keeps us from uh, being inviting as people as a church body? Uh, one thing could be maybe we just don't know who, we don't know who to invite, right? Might be a lack of, of people uh, that we can think of to invite. Maybe we're, quite honestly, for most of us, I would imagine, we're distracted and consumed by a lot of other things in life and is just not at the top of our to-do list, right? We maybe want to try to avoid certain sin patterns that we know we struggle with, so we stay away of those sins of commission or tried to, but the sins of omission, we just kind of make peace with them. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to be an ambassador for Jesus and thinking about reaching those around me, but um, it doesn't feel as bad to us to neglect that as it does to us to do something that we commit and we know it's wrong. Maybe you're introverted, and that can make us feel like this isn't for us. This is only for the extrovert, you know, the superstars, the extroverted people. And believe me, I can feel that way because I'm a bit more extroverted just by default than my wife is, but I know, but I'm not that far over onto that extroverted scale. And I know a lot of people that are far more there. And as a pastor, you can kind of go, well, that guy's doing a good job of evangelism. It's nice to see what he's doing. I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but so we can kind of default to that. Uh, maybe we're concerned that people are going to be offended somehow, even with something as simple as an invitation to church or an invitation to talk about spiritual matters, right? Uh, most of the time, people aren't if they know we're coming from a heart of love. The worst thing they can do is kind of decline. No, I don't want to talk to you about my spiritual life. Or no, I don't think they're going to be deeply offended and sever a relationship with you just because you initiate that conversation, but we're, we're fearful of that. I get it. Uh, maybe we're stuck in a little small circle of acquaintances. That's probably true for a lot of us because we only got so much bandwidth for relationships, and we're sort of stuck in that loop and feel like we've exhausted that. That could be a, a limitation. Maybe, here's an interesting one, and you, it might be a little subconscious, let's say. Maybe we kind of like our church the way it is and the size it is. And so one of the reasons, honestly, we wouldn't probably say it because we know it's not quite right, but we don't initiate as much with inviting others is that would mean things would kind of change around here. We wouldn't have maybe the same relational connections that we've got right now. There's a lot of reasons that we're kept from inviting all. So let's take a look at what Jesus says about this and what the scriptures call us to. The first thing we want to talk about is inviting. And again, I'm going to try to identify what I think are maybe some tensions that we live in with this. And, and I might be off base, that's fair. But I, I, I think these are things that we are, we're probably wrestling with. Uh, John 17, again, let's flip back there if you were with me over in Matthew that we just read. John 17, again, we see this idea that Jesus conveys that he's seeking, he's got interest to give eternal life to all who have been given. Okay, so <clears throat> that makes no discretion. All uh, invited that way. And then if you look down at verses 18, <clears throat> well, 18, 19, and 20 in John 17, Jesus talks a little bit more about this. He says, as you sent me into the world, he's talking to God the Father, God sent him into the world, 
Obviously, that's a distinctive way that none of us can replicate, but the idea of being sent is something we can pursue. So I have sent them into the world, that's you and me, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in the truth. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. Right? Down the line and down the line and down the line. Do you ever think about that? About If you're here today and you've come to know Jesus, have a relationship with Him, somebody shared the gospel with you. Maybe it was a preacher or a church context and somebody shared the gospel with that pastor or that evangelist that you went to. A lot of times it might be a, a friend or an acquaintance or a family member and somebody shared the faith with them and somebody shared it before them and somebody shared it before them and some and you can trace that line if you had to all the way back isn't that amazing if you stand here today sit here today i should say and you know jesus you're in that pathway of the family of god in that way uh, an amazing thing it's an amazing thing it's also a really strong reminder that we've got a role to play now in our time, in our life. And young people here, please don't check out from this one. This isn't like big people stuff. In fact, you all who are younger are probably much more likely to have success. Us folks that are getting further along, your moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads, we're a little set in our ways. We get in a rut, and it's hard for us to change a lot of times later in life. You have an opportunity at your school, on your teams, and your clubs that you're a part of to really be inviting all. And many of you are doing that already. I love to see the folks that are coming to the preteen and the middle school ministries and that came to summer nights. So well done, young ones that have been thinking about your life missionally. Keep thinking that way. So we see this call from Scripture. I, I won't have you turn there, but Luke 14, 23 actually says, it doesn't just say invite. It says, go out into the, the highways and byways and compel the people to come in. So maybe inviting, this wouldn't work real well for like a church vision statement. It just would be misunderstood. Probably pleading or urging would be better words. You know, those don't fit as nice and delightful on a little brochure or a banner that you post all around town. So we put the word inviting. But that's what we're talking about. And so as we think about this, one of the things I need, think we need to wrestle with is Inviting is not the same thing as welcoming. We are a fantastic church, I would say, at welcoming people. I meet people regularly, whether they decide to connect in with our church or not, that if they've come and visited something that we're doing as a church, they tell me that your church was very welcoming, and I felt at home there. And that is, that's fantastic. We ought to build on that. But welcoming is not the same thing as inviting. Inviting means we are thoughtful about who can we engage with just out in life. They might never even set foot here in our worship space. It'd be great if they did. But where we're seeking to say, I, I want to engage with somebody spiritually. I want to help them if I can along the journey. So a couple of questions for us. How can we be purposeful welcomers across the ministries of our church? We're already doing that, I think. How can we keep building on that? What does it look like to improve as a church body and being more intentional with those that are outside of our church? And then here's a couple of really pointed questions. 
So like that's, that's my job up here. So everybody's gonna get uh, tagged today at some point, I guarantee you. So this is one for, for folks. We're gonna talk about, anyway, we're gonna talk about all kinds of things. When is the last time you invited someone to some ministry of our church? If it's been a while, why? It's a good question. It might be something you need to talk to us in leadership or pastors about, but if it's been a while, why is that? Important question to wrestle with. Second part of this inviting that I think we need to think through is how do we try to move out of just our established social circles? <clears throat> and I think you see this biblically. A lot of times in the Bible, we see people's families come into faith or family connections. Even the disciples, the early apostles are that way. Some of them were brothers and so related to each other and connected. Uh, fellow fishermen, you know, in the same business together. So those are good things to capitalize on. It's not bad. But sometimes we do end up with just, we've kind of talked to everybody in that, in that group, in that circle. We've talked to our family members about Jesus and we've talked to our close friends. So a couple of questions that I would have for us, and this really connects with uh, that, that guy, Alan Dayhoff, that was with us back three or four months ago, you remember, the tattoo guy, uh, Church in a Blues Bar, he came and preached our sermon, if you were here, and did a, did a Sunday school for us. And he likes to think about it this way, he calls it getting out into the wild. And I don't know if that scares you or that inspires you, it's meant to inspire. So let's get out of our little bubble and let's get out into the wild and intentionally seek pathways to relate to new people, regardless of whether those people are going to come to church or would decide to come to church, right? What's it look like to do that purposefully, get out into the wild? That may be just listening and just talking to, to people, uh, hearing what's going on in their lives. So inviting, that's part of the scriptural call. The second part of this is that we're to be inviting all. And what we tend to think about is who would be a good fit, right? Who would sort of fit in well in our context? I, I think we need to, it's not, not bad to perceive that, but I think we need to set that aside a little bit because all of these passages I read say that when God wants to move in somebody's life and when God's calling and God's choosing that that thing's going to happen and we don't have to structure it perfectly to make it work with people that look like us or act like us or are from our background or whatever. So we're invited to, to invite all. Several of these passages make it clear that this is extended to anyone, okay? So whatever uh, context or groups or individuals you think are really unlikely to embrace the gospel, God is inviting us to see things differently because of his saving work. One of the ways we do that, I think, is by the tension of embracing who we are and also reaching diversity. I'm thinking here particularly of uh, international diversity that we have in our community around us in this part of Birmingham, and also ethnic and racial diversity, right? Those are two things that we don't look around the room. We don't see a, a ton of. And God's, I think, is calling us to be more intentional, be up to Him if our church is to become uh, more reflective of, his, of his, his glory and His purposes in that way. But I, I, I think one of the things that can hold us back is we feel like if I engage with other cultures, I have to let go or downplay my culture. And that's just really not true. You can value who you are 
And if you're Chris Peters, you've got the German roots and you Central Pennsylvania family and you've got a certain family context and mindset and structure and you can value all of that and appreciate that and uphold that, say you're thankful for that. And at the same time, embrace people that maybe are a little different, maybe look a little differently or come from a different background than us. So that's one of those things that I hope we're probably embracing in our church context, but especially in our current cultural climate, uh, politically and so forth, it can be really hard to hold those things in, in tension, right? That's, a, that's an important thing. The, the second part of this is that we're inviting all, not just different nationalities or ethnicities, but regardless of what's going on in somebody's life and what they're struggling with. So we're inviting the secularist who is unsure about the existence of spiritual things. We should be inviting the political worshiper, the one who worships our earthly leaders on the far left or on the far right or wherever. We should invite the teenager who's running down the road to uh, alcohol, to sexual promiscuity, to the popularity rat race, and we should invite them to come into our midst to experience God's grace and transforming work. We should invite, and I'll say as I'm sharing all these, aren't these all true of us? Don't we all have these at work at some place probably in our lives? The legalist who perceives herself as being spiritually a little bit better than others and maybe not in need of God's grace. We invite the legalist. We invite the licentious person. The person who says, hey, uh, yeah, I'll just check in on Sunday from time to time and hope God's forgiving of all the ways I'm living my life outside of his plan. We invite the workaholic who's putting work and achievement at work above other things spiritually or in life. We invite the lazy person to come to know God's calling and a sense of initiation and purpose in their life. We invite the married woman who's committed adultery or who's thinking about going down that road. We invite the married couple who are about to file for divorce. We invite the same sex attracted man who's trying to figure out God's design for romantic relationships. We invite the pro-choice person, the angry person, the anxious person, the substance addicted person, the greedy person, the racist person, all of these people. God has encouraged us to invite into his grace, right? And the last thing we want to talk about that is God is inviting us to transformation. And so as we think about inviting all, we're thinking about inviting all to come to surrender and yield to Jesus. And so the last thing I'll say, and it'll be a quick point, is that we're all invited but only through faith and repentance do we become members of the capital C church, which is globally all those who uh, recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, what we call the invisible church in our membership class. We're inviting everybody to come to that, capital C, and we're also inviting, lastly, everybody to come to the little C church and put ourselves under the shepherding care and leadership of the church. Now, in case you're here today and you're thinking, well, he's picking on me because I'm not a member of the church or whatever, I haven't joined. That's not my point at all. Because you could be here and you could have, you know, answered those five membership questions that we have and joined the church and so forth. 
but those aren't really active principles in your heart. You're not saying, I really want to submit to God's leading and shepherding of me through the local church body. Uh, you can be uh, in, in all sorts of ways wrestling with your commitment to that local church. So the last couple of questions I've got for us, what does it look like for each of us to live in intentional accountability to a local church body? How do you need to be shepherded? Wouldn't that be a great question for all of us to ask? How do, how do I need help being shepherded? That's what that discipleship pathway is about to some extent. Assess yourself. Uh, do we perceive ourselves as merely participants in Cross Creek Church, or do we realize that we're a part of the global movement and work of God? We can fall on either side of that tension. I'll close with this. Um, I don't know when the last time is that you might have had a, a gathering where you wanted you know, other folks to come and know about them. I mean, we've got the church anniversary celebration coming up in September, so we've been putting together invitations. And usually if you're having a special event, uh, your own anniversary celebration, or probably a, maybe a wedding ceremony would be the best example, what do you do when you're preparing for that event and you're wanting people to come? You sit there and you make a list. Who should I invite? Who do I want to be here for this special event? What would it look like if we as a church body were regularly thinking about that in terms of inviting people into the marriage supper of the Lord, right? Fellowship with Him where we're writing down people we know, we're praying for them, and we're inviting them into God's grace. Let's pray together.